If you'd open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, we'll continue in our study through Revelation, specifically into the seven churches. So this morning we'll be in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. The book of Revelation. This morning we're going to look at the church of Philadelphia, but before we do, I want to just kind of review the churches that we've already visited Remember, the Apostle John is on the island of Patmos. He's receiving this from the Lord. He's, had, he's actually seen the Lord, and the Lord has given him something to write down. And he's in the process of, of we're reading these letters that he has written or that he's penned to these seven churches. The first church that he wrote to was the church of Ephesus. And remember, these are seven literal churches. They existed in these seven towns that he's writing to. They're not made up. They're, 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 they're actually physical churches that were there. And as he's writing to them, he has some good things to say about them, and he has some bad things to say to some of them. The church of Ephesus, he told them, I recognize all the things you're doing, but he said you left your first love. He said you got so busy in the things of God, the things that are important to God, you left the most important thing, which was Jesus himself. In other words, we liken that to our own lives. We can get so busy doing things for God, our own relationship with the Lord can suffer. And then we talked about the church of Smyrna, and that was the persecuted church. The Lord said, that's okay, it's going to endure for a while. I'm going to be with you through the persecution. But he didn't have anything bad to say about the church of Smyrna. And then we went to the church of Pergamos, and that was called the compromising church. The church of Pergamos, they were compromising. They were holding to the doctrine of Balaam. They were letting these false doctrines seep in, and they weren't keeping them out. And they were, they were compromising the, the word of God. They were compromising their beliefs. Then we studied the church of Thyatira. That's known as the corrupt church. And remember the rebuke there was you have that woman Jezebel, or even possibly your wife Jezebel, that she's coming in and she's leading the people into sexual immorality. She's leading the people into eating things that were sacrificed to idols or essentially idol worship themselves. So we talked about that's kind of the, the joining of the church and the, and, the, and the state and the community that they're coming together. And that, again, there's, there's not only, it went from compromise to corruption. And then last week we saw the church of Sardis. The church of Sardis is the dead church. It's the church that has a name that they're alive. You would look at the church on the outside and think that church is alive. They're doing things for the Lord. But Jesus says, I know, I know that you're dead. Everybody else might think you're alive, but I see what the heart is. I see that there's this deadness there. You're alive on the outside, but you're really dead. And this morning, we're going to look at the church of Philadelphia. The church of Phil- this is the church we all want to be. Because as we look at these churches, as we, as we look at our own lives, we can say, you know what? Sometimes there's the church of Ephesus in me. I can become so busy that my relationship with the Lord suffers a little bit. Or maybe there's, a, maybe there's some persecution going on in your life, and you can, I can relate to the persecuted church. Or maybe, maybe there's, a, there's some compromise going on in your life. Maybe you're compromising with some sin or some doctrines of the world, and you're, you're trying to form them and bring them into what you believe. So sometimes we could be the church of Pergamos or the church of Thyatira. Or maybe we could even be the church of Sardis, where we look like we're a Christian. We, we're doing all the right things. We say the right things. We're, we're talking the right things, but really inside... We're just spiritually dead. Well, here, this morning, the Church of Philadelphia, that's who we all want to be. But here's the catch. If we were to ask each other, and we're not going to do that, by the way, hey, which church are you? We would all say the same thing. I'm the Church of Philadelphia. That's me. That's because that's, I don't want to admit that I'm, I'm one of these other churches at times in my life. But I think it's good to admit that we're one of these other churches. I think sometimes we have to recognize them. So as we look at the Church of Philadelphia this morning, let's just pick up. And follow along with me in uh, verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, 
He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it, for you have a little strength. You've kept my word and have not denied my name. As typical with all the letters, it's and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. The angel of the church of Philadelphia, that was the messenger or the angel, the leader of that church. And as typical in the rest of the letters, these things says he. In other words, this is the letter, this is the, this is the things that Jesus is saying specifically to this church. And again, he's going to have nothing bad to say. This church is known as the faithful church. This is the faithful church. This is, this is who we all want to be. This is the faithful church. Now, the church of Philadelphia, the name means just what you think. It's this, it means brotherly love. Now, it's not talking about Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's talking about the Philadelphia over in Asia Minor. But, it, but the name literally means brotherly love. And the Philadelphia over in Asia Minor was located in a beautiful valley about 25 miles southeast of Sardis. It was built by a man named, built by a man by the name of Adelus Philadelphus. He was the king of Pergamos. It was strategically built along a trade route, that was, and it was known as the gateway for the east. It was the smallest of all the cities that we studied here, but it was, it was, a, it was a city that was right on one of the trade, map, trade routes. And you say, Rob, a lot of the cities are that way. Well, they are, because that's where they build cities is where people are coming through. That's where the interaction takes place. And it was kind of known, or it kind of became, as a missionary city. But it wasn't a missionary city for Christ. It was a missionary city for Greek culture. You see, it was they began to set up Greek culture in there, so much so that it became known as Little Athens. So they wanted to educate the people in the surrounding areas about the Greek culture. They wanted them to educate them in the Greek language, the Greek way of living. So just it, was, it became as they're, they're, the focus of the city was let's spread what it means to be Greek, what it, what it means to be this way. That was kind of the focus there. And like I said, it became known as Little Athens. And because it's likened to the Athens, it also, can, or also had a lot of idol worship. The Greek gods, a lot of that was going on. The most famous one there was Dionysus, the god of wine, because the produce there that was being produced was grapes. And Dionysus was the god of wine and the god of revelry. So, so Dionysus was being worshipped there. And that kind of gives you a little bit of background. But I want you to notice, Jesus is authoring a letter to the church in Philadelphia, and he describes himself with four specific points. So Jesus says to them, I know who you are, but I, I, know if I, want to, I want to tell you who I am. And he's going to remind them four things. Look what he says. These things says he who is holy. He who is holy. He's going to list four aspects of himself. The first thing is holy. Jesus says, I'm holy. He says, I'm separate. It means to be separate or to be set apart. I'm holy. Throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, we see things that are holy. We see people that are holy. But Jesus encompasses all holiness. God encompasses all holiness. And he also says, when, when he says, I'm holy, it's speaking of the deity of Jesus Christ. He's, speaking of, he's not speaking of his tendency to be holy or to do holy things. He says, I am holy. I represent holy. You see, could you say that about yourself? Would you say, I'm holy? You might do some holy things, and we're holy by the blood of Christ, but apart from Christ, we're not really holy. Unless you got holes in you, I guess. He also says... He who is true, he who is true. Jesus says to this church, I'm holy and I'm true. And the word truth there, it means genuine. It means authentic. It means not false. He says, I am truth. He is truth. Not I am speaking truth. 
Not I am saying truth, I am truth. He's declaring himself literally to be truth. He is the source of truth is what he's saying. Truth is is perfectly revealed in God. I, I am truth. Well, if Jesus is truth, then he can be trusted. If he's truth, which he is, then we can trust him and we need to understand that because sometimes trust in the Lord can be a problem for us. You ever have God do something in your life and you're not exactly trusting what he's doing? Well, he's truth. Remember that? Yeah, I know you say your truth, Lord, and I, and I believe your truth, but sometimes and when it comes to our life and the situations in our heart, what he's dealing with at that moment, we wonder, God, do you really know what you're doing? Are you really sure? You, you really, are, are, are you really sure? You, this doesn't make any sense to me, God. And we actually sometimes want to change the direction we're headed, to change the direction he's taking us. But I want to assure you this morning that if he is truth, and if you really believe he is truth, then also know that he can be trusted, and you can put your trust in the truth, and it will lead you to where you need to go, or where you need to be. And the next thing he says, he who has the key of David. The key of David. The key or the keys. That represents, it's a symbol of authority. Who has the keys? Who has the keys to the car? That's who decides where we're going, right? Whoever's driving, whoever has the keys to the house, it's their house. Whoever has the keys to the kingdom, it's their house, their kingdom. It represents authority. In Revelation chapter 1, we saw Jesus say, I have the key to Hades and to death. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to Peter, I will give you the key to the kingdom of heaven. In Revelation chapter 9, it says an angel was given the key to the bottomless pit. So Jesus here is speaking of his authority to this church. I hold the keys, he says. I hold the keys. I'm the one in charge. they're, They're my keys. It's my authority. But the statement here actually comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 22, verse 22, where it's referred to, where where Jesus is actually quoting this statement. And just a little background there. You don't need to turn there. But what was going on in the city of in the in the in the country of Judah, in the area of Judah, the Assyrians were coming down to attack Judah. And the 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 uh, Judah decides rather than go to the Lord, rather than wait for the Lord and find out if the Lord's going to help us, we're going to go talk to our neighbors, Egypt. We're going to go over to Egypt and ask them, "Hey, will you help us out?" You see, at that time, Judah was being led by a man named Shebna, and Shebna, instead of going to the Lord, he held the keys to the kingdom of Judah. But instead of going to the Lord, he was, well, he was using it for his own gain. He wasn't interested in God's way of handling things. He wanted to go handle things his own way. Well, coming up in Isaiah chapter 22, the Lord says that he's going to remove Shebna and take the key away from him. Take the key of Judah away from him. And he's going to give it by the name of Eliakim. And Eliakim is a man who's going to be a servant of the Lord. And he's going to have this key of, of the kingdom of Judah. And it actually happens exactly the way Isaiah prophesies it would take place. So the key here represents the authority that the Lord has. Does the Lord have the key to your life this morning? You remember the bumper sticker? They're not around much. But remember this bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? Anybody have that on their car? Don't raise your hand if you do. If you do, go take it off. You need to get it off there. Because God doesn't need to be your co-pilot. God needs to be the one in charge. He needs to have the key to your life. You see, the co-pilot does what the pilot says, right? Jason, you're a pilot. Who's in charge, the pilot or the co-pilot? The captain or the first officer? The captain's the one that's in charge. That's who God needs to be in our life. Now, I know what the bumper sticker meant, and it's okay. But the idea of God being your co-pilot, I don't want God to be my co-pilot. I want God to be my pilot. I want him to have the authority in my life. I want him to have the key to my life. I want to be the one that follows him, not him following me. The idea of co-pilot says I can tell him what to do. Lord, this is where we're going today. 
This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to minister. That's what a cope, oh, a cope, okay, let's go. All right, Lord, bless what I'm doing today. No, that's the wrong, wrong mentality. When somebody has the authority in your life, when the Lord has the authority in your life, it's not a co-pilot situation. It's he's the one leading and guiding you, telling you what to do, where to go, and how to do it. Where you're submitting to what he says, not where he's submitting to what you say. So if you have that bumper sticker, go scratch it off. No, I'm just kidding. You can leave it on. We all know what it really means or what your heart is. But sometimes what we say needs to be clarified because God cannot just be our co-pilot. He needs to be our pilot. He needs to be the one leading us. And the last thing it says here about the Lord Jesus, he's holy, he's true, he has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Open doors speak of our opportunities that God gives us. Open doors speak of the, of the situations that God opens up in our lives. And here Jesus, again, with his authorities, I can open doors for you that no one can shut. I can shut doors for you that no one can open. Again, it's a position of authority. He wants the church in Philadelphia to know, I'm the one in charge. I'm the one doing this. But also, here in Philadelphia, it could be the church has been given an open door of evangelism. It's been given an open door of evangelism. It's known as the faithful church. The church here would have the opportunity to evangelize. Perhaps it's because of the location that it's in. For whatever the reason, it's commonly agreed upon and believed that the church of Philadelphia was an evangelistic church. It was going out, spreading the gospel, spreading the news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to them, I'm the one that opened the doors for you. I'm the one that opens doors in your life. I'm the one that does that. Now, here's what I understand, and here's what I've come to know. The Lord will open doors for this ministry. And the Lord will open doors for your life. But I need you to see something for me real quick. If you'll look at verse 8. I know your works. Look at the next word. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. The word see means look at, acknowledge. We have to acknowledge the open doors in our life. We have to acknowledge the open doors in our ministry. We have to acknowledge these. If we don't acknowledge them, we never walk through them. A door can be open to us that you can never pass through, right? It can be wide open and you could never walk through. You could go around a different way. You could do something else. You could stand in the room and never leave. But you have to pass through it. And here's what he's saying to the church of Philadelphia. You've done that. You've passed through that open door that I've opened for you. You're living the life that I've called you to live. This is the church that we want to be. I open a door and no one shuts it. The Lord has opened doors for ministry in our church both through radio station, through different outreaches, things that we've done in the past. But here's what I know. He will continue to open doors. But in order for us to walk through them as a body, as a body of believers, we need to walk through them individually. And here's what I mean by that. I can't do everything in our church. No one person can do everything in our church. There's, there's no one person that can say, I've got I'll, I'll do all of it. You can't. When we were little and smaller than we were, then it was okay. Then, then I could have done a lot. But the more we grow and the more our reach expands and into radio now and different things, it's impossible for me to be able to do everything. So here's what I need from you guys. Walk through the open doors the Lord makes for you. When the Lord opens a door to serve, when the Lord opens a door for evangelism, when the Lord opens a door to do something, walk through it faithfully. Because in doing that, not only will you be blessed, but you're going to be fulfilling the calling of this ministry if you're part of this church. I'll give you an example. For the last several years, we've done a fall festival. 
We've, we've always done one put together for the kids, and I think last year we had 50 or 60 kids here, and we had a big castle set up in here, and it was really cool. But this year, we don't have anybody to oversee the fall festival. We're not sure if it's going to get done or not. So we've talked about it, and here's what I've come to the conclusion. I'm going to put it out there. Some, somebody out there, if you're called to oversee the fall festival and put together a fall festival, let me know. Get with me afterwards. We'll pray about it, and we'll see if it's something the Lord wants you to do. Because with that, we have to consider this. We don't always want to do something because we've always done it. That's not a good thing either. You don't just do something. And the Lord could be saying, you know what, it's time to stop the fall festival. You did it for four years or so. It's time to I have something else I want you to do, another direction I want you to go in. And I'm okay with that too. But at the same time, I need to put it out there and say, hey, is there anybody out there called to do the fall festival? Because if you are, I, don't want, I want to make sure that you know that opportunity is available. Because sometimes people sit in the seats wondering, well, I'll just do it whenever I get there. It's already taken care of. They don't need my help. No, we really do need your help. If, if the Lord's called or put something on your heart, please come talk to me about it. I want to help you, equip you for the work of the ministry. That's what the church is supposed to do. We want to help you fulfill your calling personally. And in doing so, you're, fulfilling, you're, you're making a clearer, bigger picture of the church. That's the way that works. And if you're not called to do the fall festival and nobody's called, that's okay. The Lord will do something else. But continually pray about that. Let's have that heart that says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where's the open door for me today? Where's the open door for me this week? Where's the open door to minister, to evangelize? Where's the open doors for me? You see, they had to recognize them. And it's the same thing with our life. We have to make sure we're looking for the open doors of the Lord. You've heard the, door, you've heard the saying, when God shuts a door, he, what? Opens a window? I've heard that one too. That's not in the Bible. You all also heard the saying, when God shuts a door, he opens another door. That's not in the Bible either. When God shuts a door, there's a reason he shuts it. And you might just have to wait for a while. It might not be right away. There may be, he may be saying, no, I don't want you to go down this, this road. But neither one of those sayings are in the scriptures. We won't find them anywhere. So he says to the church here, I've op- he opens a door and no one shuts and no one opens. Or he, he shuts a door and no one opens it. And now he moves into the church itself. And this is the part that we really, really, really want to pay attention to. Look what he says. I, I know your works. See, I have, bef- I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. He says, I, know th- I want you to notice four things there, four commendations that he gives the church. The first thing he says, I know your works. I know what you're doing for me. I know how you're serving me. I, I know how hard you're working for me. I see the things that you're doing for me that nobody else sees. That's the greatest works of all, by the way. Those are the, I, I personally believe the Lord loves the works that you do that nobody else sees, just you and him. I think he loves that. I think to me, that is, that, everybody knows that I'm here teaching the Bible this morning. Everybody gets to see that. But the things that you do in your neighborhood, the things that you do in your family, the things that you do for your friends, the things that you do in this church that nobody knows, there's no recognition that goes with it. Because I know you're doing that. I know you're working. Don't worry. I know. It's not slipping by me. I know you did something nice for somebody and they didn't even say thank you. It's okay. They didn't even recognize you did it. It's okay. I know, he says. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for me. That's number one. I know your works. And number two, he says, I know... I know you have a little strength. You say, wait a minute, Rob, that sounds negative. No, it's very positive. You see, strength is power. That's what the word means. He goes, I know you only have a little power. You see, when, when we're people or we're a church that only has a little strength, 
We're not relying on our own strength to accomplish the Lord's will. We are relying on his strength. You see, Dr. Vance Havner put it this way. He said, it's not a matter of great strength, not great ability, but great dependability. Samson had great ability, but poor dependability. A little strength faithfully used means more than much strength flashily and fitfully used. You see, it's better to have a little strength because if I have a little strength in my life, I recognize I have a little strength, what do I do? Lord, I need you to strengthen me. Lord, I can't do this without you. I can't go on without you. I'm worn out. I'm beat down. I need you to strengthen me. I need you. I'm, I'm really hurting here, Lord. It's recognizing our weakness. It's what leads us to the Lord in strength. So having a little strength, he says, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a really good thing. That's really good. The Apostle Paul said, when I, am strong, when I am weak, I am strong in you, Lord. When I am weak, I am strong in you. But I want to just sh- share something practically with you about being strengthened by the Lord. And I'm going to give you a, you know, sometimes people don't understand how it physically works. So let's pretend that, that you're, you wake up tomorrow morning and you're just worn out. I mean, you're just worn out, and you get up, and you pour your cup of coffee, have your breakfast, whatever, and you sit on your couch, and you go, Lord, I just don't have the strength to go to work today. I just don't think I can do it. There's just no way I can do it. I'm going to sit here on the couch until you strengthen me. You'll never get off that couch. You're going to sit there all day. You're going to go, Lord, when I feel strengthened, I'm going to go. Lord, all right, if you'll strengthen me now, then I'll go to work, but otherwise I'm sitting here on this couch. That's where you're going to sit for the rest of the afternoon. Here's how it works. When you say, Lord, strengthen me, you get up off the couch, you finish getting dressed, you get in your car, and you go to work. And you'll find that as you step out in that day, as you begin to take those steps of those things that you have to do, he will strengthen you. Because what you thought you couldn't do when you first got up, you're going to find at the end of the day, I did it. I might have been a little tired, I might have been worn out, but I did it. He strengthened me through that day. It requires us walking in his strength. Same process that, you know, so often we sit back and the Lord, Lord, would you help me find a job? I'll get off the couch if you'll help me. Well, you got to go pick up the one ads. You got to go look for a job. You have to put forth the effort. He'll bless the effort you put forth. If you're putting forth no effort and saying, Lord, strengthen me when I feel like it, you're never going to feel like it. But when you go, he'll strengthen you. And here he's telling the church of Philadelphia, I know you have a little strength, and that's a good thing because you're depending on me. You're relying on me for my strength. And then look at number three, the third thing he says. He says, you've kept my word. You've kept my word. It seems so simple. You've kept my word. You've kept my word. This is when a church, this is when people are most effective, when you keep the word of God. He doesn't say because you heard my word. He says, you kept my word. You lived my word. You, you're living out what you're he- hearing. For a church to be effective, it has to live what it believes. Which means that there's a message that goes forth out of the scriptures. It changes your life. If it doesn't change your life, it's not being effective at all. You've kept my word. It's putting into practice the things that we learn. That's what was going on. There was lives being changed because they were hearing the word of God and they were doing something with it. As James would say, don't just be a hearer of the word of God, be a doer of the word of God. It doesn't mean you have to go find something to do this afternoon. It means you have to let the word of God be the thing that's working in you to change you. 
Otherwise, you just sit here on Sunday morning, hear a message and listen to me talk for 45 minutes, get up and go, whew, let's eat breakfast, pancakes. I'm glad that's over. <laughs> but you see, someone who approaches the word of God that says, wait a minute, this, this faithful church, that's who I want to be. I want to be the faithful church. What are they doing? Well, Jesus says he knows their works, that they're, they don't have a lot of strength. That's good. I'm there. And then he says, they kept my word. They kept the word of God. Well, am I there? Is that what we're doing as a body? Is that what we're doing? Notice the faithful church is holding fast to the word of God. They're not holding fast to religion. They're not holding fast to routine or ritual. They're not holding fast to tradition. They're holding fast to God's word, period. Nothing more and nothing less. It's the word of God. That's what they're holding fast to. And Jesus says, I know what you're doing. I know it's wearing you out because you're tired, but I'm strengthening you along the way. I know all the works you're doing. You're holding fast to my word. And look at number the fourth thing he says. He says, you haven't denied my name. You haven't denied my name. You have not denied the deity of Jesus Christ. Do you realize the problem, the, 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 the reason people can't accept Christianity is because of Jesus? It's not because of God. Every religion has God. Now, we might not be talking about the same person. We can give them the same name. We can call God anything. But every religion has a God, but what's offensive is Jesus. Because as Christians, we say he's the only way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to God except through me. That's what he said. I'm the only way. That's what people, well, isn't that closed-minded? Isn't that simple? It's really simple, Robert. It's closed-minded. It's simplistic. No, I don't believe that. I'm sorry. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. He says to this church, you have not denied that fact. You have not denied my deity. When Jesus claimed to be God in several places in the scripture, he goes, you haven't denied my deity. You haven't denied my name. In Christianity, we better be careful that we don't become soft. We don't become soft and deny the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the faithful church. This is the church that we want to be. Makes it real simple. I know your works. I know you're not very strong. You're dependent upon me. I know you're keeping my word, and you haven't denied my name. You see, the other churches were compromising. They were filling in. They were, they were letting things of the world seep into what they really believed. They weren't holding fast to the word of God. They were changing the word of God to make it say what they wanted it to say. As Christians, we have to be careful. The faithful church is real simple. Hold to the word of God. Don't deny the name of Christ. Rely on his strength, and he knows what we're doing. Those four things make, make it really easy for us to do. Now, I want to shift gears here just for a minute. These seven churches, as I said, represent the seven literal, literal churches. But I also want you guys to understand something. These seven churches, I believe, also represent time periods within church history. Okay, and what I mean by that is you, you, can, you can look at church history and go, all right, church history started when Christ died and rose again, and then it, it progressed through different and, or various stages. So I want to kind of run, this, run you through this. Ephesus was the first church. It's known as sort of the apostolic church. It's the, it's the church that left its first love, and it takes place, the church history period that it existed in is the first century. It's right, around, right up till about the, first, the end of the first century. This is the church of Ephesus. And I'm going to cover this real quick, so, and we may cover it in detail in, in a future study. But the church of Smyrna comes on next. 
the church of Smyrna, everybody knows if you've studied any Christian history, intense persecution happened by the end of the first century. Christians were being burned at the stake. There was persecution happening all over the place. It was, it was a terrible place to live. The church of Smyrna is known as the persecuted church. Fits right in there. We have Ephesus being the first church. Then we have the persecuted church or the church of Smyrna coming in place. The next major shift in movement in church history was when Emperor Constantine came on the scene. And if you know what he did, he merged, he was a Roman emperor, and he made Christianity the Roman religion. In doing that, in, in bringing that together, the church of Pergamos is called the Compromising Church. We've talked about this because he brings it together. That began in about, at about 325 A.D., somewhere in there. And that, as he runs that through, he, begins, he brings the church and the government together. Oh, boy. That's always problems, right? Because now the government is telling, using the church to put out its mission, its methods, its message to the people. And it's no longer the pastor teaching the word of God. It's the pastor teaching what the government wants the people to hear. That's called the compromising church. The next church to come on the scene was Thyatira. Thyatira is the corrupt church. This is where we see Constantine coming where the Roman church is beginning to settle, and we see Christianity as a whole forming into what's called that we know as the Catholic church. Now, don't get all upset. I'm not bashing Catholics. I'm just talking about a time period in history. So here we see this, we see this period where the, where the Catholic church is coming to rise, where the popes are really coming into play, where we see, we see the dark ages that's kind of beginning. Because of the influence of the government and because of the influence of the church, we see a lot of traditions being brought into the church that really weren't biblical traditions, but we see them being brought in anyways. Well, what was the next period of church history after the, after the Catholic Church really began to form? The Reformation, right? It's called the, Refor the, the Protestant Reformation. The Church of Sardis is known as the Dead Church. Remember in the, when we study the Church of Sardis, he says, I know your name. The word for name is where we get our word for denomination from. Okay, the church of Sardis comes in. You started out with the bang, the Reformation, and Martin Luther, and he, and he nailed it to the door. The thing, the, and you, you started out great, but then all of a sudden you became dead. You became denominational. You became to where you where you felt you flipped into, you fell into, to becoming a dead church. The, that the, the the Reformation happened in about 1517, and that went on through till about the 1700s. So we see these major periods of church history. I think we see them laid out in these seven churches. But there's two churches left. There's the one we're studying this morning, which is Philadelphia. And there's the church at Laodicea. Where do they fit into history, Rob? Where do those go? Because from what you're saying, we've already filled up all the way to Sardis as the Reformation. What's next? You see, I think the church of Philadelphia and the church of Laodicea, which we'll study next week, I think these two churches are running parallel at exactly the same time. You see, the church of Philadelphia, that's the faithful church. That's the church we all want to be. The church of Laodicea, we'll study it in detail next week, but that's the lukewarm church. That's the church that thinks they're the Philadelphia. That's the church that says, that's acting like they're, the, they're, they're very worldly, very cultural. They're the church that they look like a church, but they're not the faithful church. They haven't held fast to the word of God. There's a lot of compromise in the church. They're the church that, that it's just, they're, they're just, everyone would think, oh, you're a, you're a good church. But no, the Lord says, no, no, you're a lukewarm church. You're not hot. You're not cold. And we'll study that more next week. And you say, Rob, why did you go to all the trouble of telling us that? Because I think what we're going to see, if I'm right, and many other uh, Bible teachers and Bible scholars have said this, 
These next couple of verses, in verses 9 and 10, in light of the faithfulness of Philadelphia, there's going to be some promises to them that we need to understand. Because Philadelphia is this faithful church, he's going to give them some promises. Number, number one, look at verse 9. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you. The first promise Jesus lays out here, he goes, listen, don't worry about your enemies, I'll take care of them. Those are the Jews of the synagogue of Satan. Those were the Jews that were living in the area of Philadelphia that were basically coming after the Christians. It was an all-out assault on the Christians. And they're persecuting the Christians. They say they're Jews, but they're really not. Jesus says, don't worry about your enemies. Someday, they'll realize as they come and they worship at your feet. Not worship you, not worship the church of Philadelphia. They're going to be worshiping the Lord, but they'll be worshiping at the feet of the church of Philadelphia. He says, the enemies... Your enemies, don't worry about it, I'll handle them. You know that promise is true for you today. If there's somebody coming against you, if there's somebody pressing in on you, if there's somebody that you say, yes, this person is my enemy, they're really, they're really after me. He says, don't worry about your enemies, I'll take care of them. Their day is coming. You focus on me. You focus on keeping my word. You focus on, me, on being faithful to me. Let me be the one that strengthens you. Don't worry about the enemies that are persecuting you. And the second promise that he gives them is in verse 10. He says, because you have kept my command to persevere, because you've kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. I told you in the beginning of the study of Revelation, I am teaching it from a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial perspective. This is one of the verses that speaks to pre-tribulation. And let me explain to you why. Because, of your, because you're a faithful church, because you're a faithful people, you have kept my command to persevere. I am going to keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. Let's, let's first, what is the hour of trial that he's talking about there? He's talking about the tribulation period. He's talking about what's coming next in the book of Revelation. You're going to see it laid out. You're going to see the judgment. You're going to see this tribulation period laid out for us in the book of Revelation. Well, if you're a smart Bible student, you might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Let me explain something. The tribulation that we experience in this world today is a result of sin and Satan. The tribulation the world's going to experience in the coming days, in the, in the, the seven-year the seven period of tribulation, is going to be a result of the wrath of the Lamb. It's going to be a result of the wrath of God. Two totally different things. Might be the same word describing tribulation, but it's coming from two different places. Now, if, you're, if I'm starting to lose you, don't worry. We'll clarify this more in coming weeks as we move along. But I want to show something to you. My command to persevere, you kept my command to persevere. Also, I will keep you from the hour of trial. I want you to circle that word from in your Bible. I want you to write the letters E-K next to it. That's the Greek word. And here's what it literally means. It means out of. That's what it means. It means out of. Out of. So here's what it's saying. I also will keep you out of 
the hour of trial. Why do you say out of, Rob? Because he's not saying I'm going to preserve you through it. He's saying I'm going to keep you out of it. I'm going to keep you out of it. I'm not even going to allow you. You see, the church, of, the church is mentioned 19 times in the first three, first three verses, or first three chapters of Revelation. But after we get past chapter 3, the church is never mentioned again. It's not mentioned anymore. It's not, it's not there. It doesn't exist. Where is it? The faithful church has been removed. The church of Philadelphia, those that are faithful, have been removed. Let me show you something really cool. In chapter 4, we're going to see the throne room of heaven. In chapter 5, I want you to turn over to chapter 5 with me. In chapter 5, and we'll, we'll study it in detail when we get there, but there's a scroll, and everyone's upset because no one's worthy to open the scroll. And I want you to read along with me in, cha- in verse 8, chapter 5, verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. Fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. See, your prayers are getting to the Lord. And they sang a new song saying. Now, before we sing this song, and before I read it to you, I want you to think of where we're at. Okay? This, this is taking place in the throne room of heaven. Chapter 4, John's taken up to heaven. Now he's singing this song in the throne room of heaven. Look what it says. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, that's speaking of Jesus, and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Who's that? Who's been redeemed to God by by his blood? The Christians, right? It's the Christians. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign forever. We shall reign forever. You see, what's taking place is this is a worship song being sung to Jesus by those that have been redeemed by the blood, but it's taking place in heaven. You see, the church isn't mentioned after chapter 3 at all. After we finish studying these seven churches, we're not going to be talking about the church. We're not going to be talking about, you know, it's gone. You see, so these seven churches not only represent seven specific churches, there's also a prophetic value to these churches as well. It says, hey, coming up in the future... The faithful church, the faithful church will be, will be kept from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. But notice the hour of trial that tells us the purpose there. Back to Revelation chapter 3. To test those who dwell on the earth. Now if you saw, the, if you saw it build up in the corrupt church, back in the church of Thyatira, Back in the church of Sardis, in the dead church, we see the warnings, the same warnings playing out. But we read here in verse 10, to those who dwell on the earth. You see, there's going to be people that are left behind to dwell on the earth. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God has exchanged the church for the Jewish people. God is, all of his promise to the Jews are still faithful. They're still true. The per- well, Rob, why is this tribulation happening? Why, why is God going to do all this? Because he wants to bring the Jewish people back to him. He wants to bring the Jewish people back to himself. He is not done with them. He has not forsaken them. Don't buy into replacement theology that says the Jewish people have been taken out of the equation. They are still very much in the equation. We are in what's called the church age. That's where we find these seven churches. That's where we find these time periods that I'm talking about this morning. And if I've completely confused you, I'm sorry. But I want you guys to understand something. Here, one of the, and we'll talk more about, if, if, you're, if you're on the fence about the rapture of the church, we're going to talk a lot more about that as we go on, because I have, there's a lot more places I want to take you to. Oh, one more place. 
Just listen. I'm going to go to Luke uh, chapter 21, verse 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. What day? For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Verse 36, watch therefore and pray always, this is Jesus speaking, that you may be counted worthy to escape, escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Watch therefore that you'll be counted worthy. Again, what is he speaking of there? He's talking to believers and he's speaking about the church. Do you want to escape what things? The tribulation period, the things that we're going to study in Revelation. You want to be counted worthy to escape them. Well, how do I do that? Be the faithful church. Believe on Jesus Christ. It's real simple. You see, as we go along and we study here in the book of Revelation, things are going to get really bad on the earth. You know, we're, we're only covering a few verses a week, but we're going to start covering a chapter or two once we get moving because I don't want to keep you in it that long. It's going to get bad for a while. But here's what we need to understand, and I fully believe this, that God always removes his people before he casts down judgment. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Before he, before he judged the cities, Abraham said, if there's one righteous, will you not judge this? It started out with, if there are 50, no, I won't judge for 50. 40, no, 30. He removes Lot and his wife. Lot's wife turns back. Lot is removed. Judgment is cast down. He always removes his people beforehand. You see, but the nation that's going to go through the judgment is going to be the nation of Israel. And during that time of tribulation, they're going to the, come to the realization that they missed the Messiah. And they will turn to the Lord. We're going to read that too in the scriptures. But he leaves the church of Philadelphia, back to Revelation. He leaves them with some counsel. He says in verse 11, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. Behold, I'm coming quickly. If he said he's coming quickly back then, we have to be in overtime now. This has to be the last hour. He's coming quickly. And then he says, hold fast that no one takes your crown. Now, he doesn't mean that someone can steal away your salvation. He can steal your place. What, the, the crown was used to reward somebody at a race. If you were, when you, in, in that day, if, if you won the race, you received a crown or a wreath to put upon your head. So what he's saying is he's likening it to we're in a race. We're coming down to the finish line. If I let off, Someone's going to pass me and take my crown. I'm going, to, I'm going to lose what I've worked so hard for. There was, a, there was a thing in the news about that recently. Did you see the runner? There was a runner running a race, and he was pretty far ahead. And I, I don't know which race he was running, but he was, and I think it was from Oregon, from, from a college. And he was running along, and he gets near the end of the finish line, and he just slows down. Instead of taking a few more steps, he, I mean, he was feet ahead, long way ahead. He just slows down, and just as he slows down, a guy passes him. He lost his crown. He missed it. He, he came in second place instead of first. And that's what he's saying. Don't slow down. Keep pressing forward. Keep staying faithful. Keep holding under the word. Don't deny my name. Keep going. Don't, don't let up just for a minute. That's what he means by someone's taking your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven, from my God, we're looking forward to that day. I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church of Philadelphia said, I know you're weak. Depend on me for your strength. Hold fast to my word. Don't deny my name. Those are the things that he commends them on. 
Those are the things that we need to look at our own life and say, Lord, am I working in your strength or mine? Lord, am I, am I compromising your word somewhere in my life? Am I, am I doing what I think is right because the culture says it's okay? Or, or, or will I stand on what's truth out of your word and your name? Do you try to sugarcoat the name of Jesus? Are we afraid to bring it up? Are we afraid to talk about it? I'm not saying be weird. There's nothing worse than some weirdo for the Lord. I'm serious. Don't be odd for God, you know. And, and I mean that, but don't, don't, don't be one of those people who are out there like, oh, gee, I don't want to. People should, when they see your relationship with the Lord, they should be attracted to it. They should look at your life and go, wow, God's done all that? God, wait a minute, God's doing that? God, you, you, don't know, you don't know what you're doing and God's doing that through you? Yeah, that's what it should be. It shouldn't be a situation where you come in the room and everyone goes, oh, boy, I'm out of here. It should be a situation where they want to hear what God's doing. They want to see what God's doing. But it should be a situation where I can tell them what God's doing. Where I don't look and say, you know what? I'm starting a radio station. I'm doing it. I'm starting a radio I'm not starting a radio station. The Lord's starting a radio station. I was a police officer. You want to do a homicide investigation? I'm right there. I can do that. I got that down pat. Done enough of those. Done enough violent crime investigations. But when it comes to radio stations, that's all the Lord. When it comes to your life, are you doing something that's out of your comfort zone in his strength? If not, can I encourage you to do that? Because it is such a blessing to watch God work and provide in you something that you didn't know that you could do. You see, when it comes to, if I was to go back to police work, I could go back pretty easily. I remember all the training. I remember all the things. I know what it's like. I could go back and do that without a problem. It wouldn't be hard. It might be a little rusty. But when it comes to something outside of my comfort zone, and I have to take a step of faith that says, Lord, I know you're calling. I know you'll do this. I know you'll provide. Then I have a choice. I can let myself get puffed up and say, look what I've done. Or I can give the glory right back to the Lord. And look what he's done. This church, this whole thing, the ministry, the work, it's all of what God's doing. I'm not doing it. You guys come, and I'm glad you do, because if you didn't, I wouldn't be here either. But it's all something, everybody gets brought here for a certain reason, for a certain purpose at a certain time in their life. And we get to be blessed as God brings us all together as a body. And he says, you know what? I'm going to use this body of broken people, of sinful people. I'm going to put it together to affect my city of Cumberland for the kingdom. It's not the biggest body, probably not the smallest body, maybe close, I don't know. But if we will hold fast to the word of God, if we will not deny his name, and we will be people that rely on his strength, look what we can accomplish. I hope you guys understand the fact that this church is building, or has built, already owns a radio station. I hope you understand the, the size of that. It is really nothing short of a miracle. You don't just walk into the store one day and go, I'd like to buy a radio station. Yeah, you know, they're, they're for sale all over the place. I'll just take one. I'll take two. They're small. You know, it doesn't work that way. God has to open doors that no one can shut. God has to shut doors that no one can open for us to be able to accomplish that. But I think we also need to be warned. Just like he commended them, he warns. We can take those commendations and say those are warnings. If we deny the name of Christ, if we compromise and get away from the word, if we begin operating in our own strength because now we know how to do it and we're pretty good at it, then we're no longer that church. Then we're the compromising church or we're the dead church, or we're going through the routines. And that's what I never, never want to be. I always want to be the church that says, Lord, I came in last Sunday and said, Lord, we need 
We need networking help. We can't do this on our own. It's done. It's taken care of. Lord, we need help. But we need financial help to buy this thing. It's done. Taken care of. By the way, we own it. It's no, there's, no, there's no monthly payment on it. The Lord provided the finances to purchase it outright. There's no debt with it. That's an amazing thing in itself. It's really cool to watch what God has done in your lives and in this church. I want to be this church. And I want each of you to embrace these characteristics. Hold fast to the word. Don't deny the name of Christ. Work in his strength. You know, when you feel worn out, when you feel mad, when you feel like, I can't do this one more day, will you go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you strengthen me? And then will you just take that step, get off the couch and keep going and watch him as he strengthens you? But don't miss it at the end of the day. Don't forget to say, thank you, Lord. You strengthened me. This morning, I didn't think I could do it. But then you strengthened me. And he will every single time. As long as you're in his will. As long as you're walking in what he's called you to do. He's going to strengthen you. Now if you're not in his will. You're going to be tired. Jesus says my burden is easy. My yoke is light. If you're not in his will. It's going to get heavy. And you're going to get worn out. And if it gets too heavy. Sometimes we need to evaluate. Am I really in the will of God? Is this something God's called me to do? Father I thank you for your word. Lord may we be that church of Philadelphia. May we be that faithful church that holds fast to your word, Lord. If it's not in there, we're not interested in it. May we not compromise our beliefs. May we rely on you for our strength. May we be people who are pleasing to you. Father, if you were to walk in our midst right now, what would you say as a whole? And what would you say to us individually? Father, if we're not in this place, may we repent as you've called all the other churches to do and move to this place. Lord, you knew all the other churches had problems. You knew there was issues with them. And you weren't throwing them out. You were calling them to repentance. May that be our heart as well. Father, may we enjoy the fellowship and the food this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.